You know, I preached my first sermon ever to this church in 1994. Wow. A long time ago. Yeah, it was on the book of, it was on Daniel. Yeah, 94, yeah, I know. It was on Daniel, and it was terrible. <laughs> so hopefully, this will be better today, right? We're hoping. I've had some practice, so... Um, I, you know, I typically don't wear glasses. I don't know if you know that or not about me. I don't usually wear them. I don't really like to, but when I, I figured when I preach, it gives me a prop. It makes me look smarter, maybe, I think. Right, Amy? Gives me a prop. You know, with the glasses, you can, uh, you can uh, make a point like that, right? I can, do the, uh, I can do the surprise point look like that. All that stuff. I can do the contemplative. Yeah? You like it? I can do the convicting. Okay. And I can see better. Now, actually, I wore my I wore I actually wore my glasses to make a point. Um, so I'm I'm nearsighted. I can see near. I can't see far. I've been near. I've had glasses since I was in the fifth grade. Yeah. <laughs> so um, if I don't have my glasses on and I don't have my contacts in, then I can see like I can see this far. No problem. No problem. I can't see. I can't see who any of you are without my glasses, though. I couldn't make it out. I could not even recognize my own wife from up here without my glasses. Um, so I can see at some range without my glasses. I could. I could navigate through this building and get out of the building, but I couldn't drive my car. Um, I. I would have lots of problems. I can't live a full life. I can't live my life fully without my glasses, the way I'm used to, um, I can see here, even though I can see this close. You get it? it? So I can see up here, but I can't see back there. And it really, really, really affects the way I live if I don't have my glasses. And I wore these um, just to make this point. The way we look at the Bible, sometimes we, we, we want to look at the Bible with, with the right lenses on. Because we can look at the Bible in a way, in a particular way, that, that really... Uh, it, 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 it focuses in and atomizes um, specific parts of the Bible without looking at the rest of the Bible. So we can know lots of verses, we can memorize lots of verses, but without understanding the bigger picture and knowing how it fits into the bigger narrative, it's called, the bigger story of God and the Bible, um, it, we don't get a complete picture, and, and it's not just a knowledge thing. We can't really navigate our Christianity all that well or to its fullest extent if we don't have the right lenses on. So today I want to talk about some of the, um, how, to, how to look at the Bible uh, with the right lens. It's not going to necessarily uh, change how you look at specific scriptures. There are some scriptures that are very, very clear, and you don't need any context to them. Um, but there's a lot in the Bible and, and what God is doing and what God is saying and how He's moving in the world and in our lives that, that we need to have specific or, or, or good lenses on in order to understand how it fits in with, with what's going on when I walk out the door and get in my car or go to my job and, and sit next to the, you know, my coworker I don't like. Does that make sense? Okay. So, now, I did um, a communion a few weeks ago and I put flowers up and, and I, um, you know, this isn't, I don't, I don't always have a table with flowers in my sermons, but when I do, I'm preaching to the Champagne Church of Christ. Uh, but, you know, this is a, a working metaphor for, for me that, um, that I use for, for the narrative of not just the Bible, but of what God is doing in, the, in His creation, in the cosmos, in the whole world. 
And so it starts with, um, let's look in Genesis chapter 1. We'll start there. At the beginning. Genesis 1. I'm not going to read all of Genesis 1 and 2, but I'll summarize it. But I will read the first couple of verses. It says, um, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and empty. Or, uh, uh, do you want to hear Hebrew? I don't know. If you, I don't know. It's tohu vavohu. Tohu vavohu, which means like, yeah, we don't, it's like wild and waste. It's chaos. The, the sea was chaos. It was just chaos, you know, and, and uh, darkness. And it says that uh, darkness is over the surface of this chaotic deep, this water. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. And, and it goes on in chapter 1. And then in chapter 2 um, is another retelling of that. But it goes on and it, it, it tells about God's creating in, in, of, the, of, the, of the cosmos, of the world. And it says over and over and over again in chapter 1 um, that he saw it and it was good. 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 And then it says it was very good. And in Hebrew, whenever things are repeated in a short span of time, um, that's, you know, that's an exclamation, highlight, uh, blinky sign behind it that says, pay attention to this. It says, God thought, God looked and saw that it was good. Now, um, it, he doesn't say it was complete. He says good, and it's different. He doesn't say complete, he says good. God loved his creation. God created and he loved his creation. He created it the exact same way that he wanted to. Exactly how he wanted to create it, he created. That's the point of that. Um, Genesis 1, now I'm going to talk, I'm doing a class uh, on this um, that will be eight weeks long, starting in a couple weeks. So I'm going to drill down a little deeper, well way deeper, into Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 in this class. So if you come, you'll hear some more um, of the nerdery, but I won't get into that so much now. But as we read on uh, in, in, in Genesis 1, um, a key thing that God does here in his creation is, in verse 26, he says, God said, let us make man in our image. Let us make humans. Humans. The word for humans in Genesis 1 is Adam. Or Adam, we say. Right? That's where you get the word. Adam means humans, humankind. Let's make Adam, let's make humans in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the, the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man, or humans, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created both of them. Chapter 2, similarly, in verse 15, God says, God took the man, took the human, and put him in the Garden of Eden, to work and, depending on your translation, work and take care of or guard or, or preserve or whatever. Now, the significance of those verses are that uh, it says, it's saying to us, in an ancient language, in an ancient context, it's saying to us, God created this creation and he created it for a purpose. It was not exactly the end that he envisioned, but it was good and it's exactly how he wanted. And he created mankind, humans, and put them in the garden, in his likeness. And that word means, uh, actually that word is also used later on in the Bible to, as, a, as a statue or an idol. So God created humankind to image him, in his image, to reflect his image, to be the pattern of him for him in the world. God created all humans in order to be him for him in the world, because he, and he took him and put him in there to work and guard it, which is advance and take it somewhere. 
And my point is that God is taking this, he created and he intended this creation to go somewhere. He had a vision for it to be greater than what it, where it started from. And he created man to partner with, to co-rule with. Now we think rule and we're like, oh, rule, that means you do what I, go get me some soda. And we say pop down here, right? We say so, okay. Uh, or, you know, the, the, the other way, you know, the, the tyrants of the world, like, oh, I'm going to take all the country's money. No, it's rule the way God would rule. Be me for me. So that when, uh, so that when creation or creatures or, or people or whatever uh, in God's creation would say, what is, God's li- what is God like? What is Yahweh like? How does he love? What does he intend? What does he want? They would say, um, uh, well, go look, at, go look at human. Go look at Adam. Because that is what God is like. Or, what does God intend for this thing? Well, go look at what human is doing. That's what God intends for this thing. What is, what is God like in his interactions with people? What is God like in his uh, intention for his own life? And it, it, well, go look at Peter Coupler. That's, that's the image. Like, that's the intention God had for all humans. You get it? Unbelievable significance that he gives humankind. The responsibility and significance he gives humankind to say, um, you are going to be me for me there. That's a lot of trust. That's a lot of trust. Um, so, so, this depicts creation. God created, and it was good. That's nice, isn't it? Yeah. Now, look in, uh, look in Revelation chapter 21. This is how we know that God is, has, has intended intended this creation to go somewhere. That's the very beginning, Genesis 1. Revelation 21 and 22 is the very end. And uh, this concept of creation and where it's going uh, bookends the Bible, and it's a key to helping us understand the Bible. It's a lens through which we read the Bible. But not just the Bible, God and his plan. Not just his plan is in a macro, cosmos, cosmic sense, but his plan for you and for me. Revelation 21 says, uh, in verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I saw a new heaven and earth. And I want you just as we read to, to, to click on to the creation language. The same language that we, that we read in Genesis 1 and 2. Okay? I saw a new heaven and earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. Sea was chaos in the ancient world. It signified chaos. So at the beginning of Genesis 1, there's, there's wild and waste with this boiling, roiling sea there. But here it says there's no longer any chaotic places in the world. Um, there's no longer any sea. Where am I at? Oh, there we go. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her, her husband. Uh, God created and put man in a garden, the Garden of Eden. Here at the end, he, there is a city that's coming down. A city is what? It's a collection of gardens. When man develops gardens and puts them together and takes them somewhere, he forms himself. Uh, this is some anthropology. It's a little bit boring, but it, uh, I like it. Uh, but it's, it, he forms himself into cities. So it starts with the garden, ends with cities. The dwelling of God, in verse 3, is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Um, now, in Genesis 3, uh, we know Adam and Eve, the story of the, the, the apple or the fruit, right? Uh, that, that, that they weren't supposed to eat, that they did. 
Adam and Eve, humans, human, decided they took this responsibility and this image and this partnering um, and they said, no thank you, I have my own plans and I want to do things my own way. I want to be my own God. I want to be my own image. And so they sinned and, and brought this, through this sin, they brought death and decay into the world. God said, no longer do you have access to the tree of life, and so no longer is everything going on forever like this as it develops. Now you have decay, and now you have death. And with death and decay, we get unrighteousness. We get sin and everything that goes along with it. And we see the effects of it outside of us, and we see the effects of it within us. We see decay and death and sorrow and pain. We see racism. We see hatred. We see sexual sins. We see... Uh, anger, we see all of the stuff. We see uh, distancing and loneliness, and we see disease and decay of everything. You know, um, uh, some psychologists think that, that even things like uh, fear and anxiety, I could, Ron can stand up and correct me with this, I don't know, but this is just what I read, okay, on the internet, so it's got to be true. The um, anxiety is actually tied to the, to the fear of death in some way. That's a theory, right? Okay. Oh, he pointed his glasses at me, he said. I don't know if that's good or bad, actually. I haven't decided whether... Okay. You get it. Death and decay. Here it's saying no more of that. No more. Think about that. All the things that... All the things we fear, all the things that bring grief and sorrow in our life, death, all the things that die in our lives, that decay our bodies... You know, I'm, I'm 40... Four now? 44? 45? I'm 45, oh my gosh. And, like, sleeping makes me sore now. I go to bed at night, I get up in the morning, I'm like, ah, I was, what did I do? Oh, I slept. Decaying. There's no more of that stuff. The old order of decay, the old order of the death that came into the world. Death is the real problem in our world now. Sin brought it in. But death is the problem. We're all going to die. Everything is going to die. That's really, when I say that even, you go, right, that's gone. Chapter 22 in Revelation. The angel showed me the river of the water of life. In chapter 2, there is a, it describes a river that goes right through Eden and feeds all of Eden. It says it's as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And that's uh, from the prophets in the Old Testament. We won't get into that. Maybe we will in the class if you come. It's a little teaser, maybe. Um, on each side of the river uh, stood the tree of life. Now, the tree of life in the Genesis account of creation is what gives mankind uh, eternal life. You eat from the tree of life, and things go on forever as you partner with God. Your life is everlasting. And God, that's when God said, no, you don't get access to that, is when death came in. Here, you don't just have a tree of life. You have a tree of life that's like a super tree of life that's somehow growing. It's just imagery. It's it's like, yeah, it's a tree of life, but even coming back greater than ever. And it's bearing fruit. It's fruiting every month, not just once a year. It's the super tree of life. Not just a tree, but a super tree of life. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, which is pretty awesome, actually. That speaks to racism and ethnic issues and stuff, which is pretty cool. But we'll get into that in the class, too. Um, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. What did God do? What's the first thing he did? He created light. 
to, to bring the world out of the chaos, and then he separated the light, uh, the day from the night, with the light. But it says here, no more need for that. They won't need even the light of a lamp or even the light of the sun. For the Lord God himself will give them light, and they will reign and rule over all of this forever and ever and ever. This is not just Eden restored. I think in your NIV, maybe, well, some of them it says Eden restored. It's not Eden restored. It's Eden the way God always envisioned it. It's Eden where God wanted it to go. And so the Bible is bookended with this is what God did in this creation in the beginning, and this is where he wanted it to go All, from day one. And, and the problem is, uh, we took man took this creation and broke it. And so this creation is broken because of sin. It's broken now. That's the problem. God still has this vision, but there's a problem now. And the problem is brokenness and, and death and decay. And we can't do anything about that. None of us can stop death and decay. None of us can, we can be, I try to be healthy. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of paleo-ish. Um, not, I don't do a good job of it. But I will not stop myself from dying or my body from decaying. That's a problem. And the story of the Bible is God creating with a vision, but man destroying. And God now has a, ha, ha, comes up with, uh, has to deal with this. This has to be dealt with. The book of Leviticus that Larry is teaching uh, that Tracy taught on today, is about how to deal with this in, the, in that time period. What do you do with this? Well, God had a plan. God had a plan for this. And it started with, uh, with a guy named Abram uh, and to create a family and to send him somewhere. It started there, and he said, I will bless you through, uh, through you and through your family. I will bless all nations. And that blessing doesn't mean I give you a candy bar or just a kind word. That blessing means I'm taking care of it through you. Through you, Abram, I'm taking care of it. But it's got its peak and, it's, and it really kicks into high gear. Let's look over in John 1. When Jesus comes, Jesus always was and, all, and is the center and the answer and the image and the example of the fix to this plan. Not only that, but as a person... He was the example of what we look like fully, fully what God intended us to be. In in the Bible, Jesus is sometimes called the the first Adam, the first Adam. Not the first Adam guy that ate the fruit that his wife gave him, but the first human, the, the preeminent human, the true human. Jesus came and showed us what it was like to be what God intended us to be. He said, through my life, this is what it looks like to be, to reflect God, to be God's image. To be God for God. This is what it looks like. But in John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word means Jesus. And He was with God in the beginning. You see the creation language there? What's the first words there? In the beginning. You think that's an accident? Nope. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. Jesus came as the pinnacle and the complete answer to this problem of sin and death and decay. See, that's Jesus coming in this story. And so Jesus comes and he, and he shows us an example and he lives a perfect life. He becomes an atonement for us, for our sins, so that we can be redeemed, a perfect one, not one that just covers things over. The, uh, in class today we heard about Yom Kippur, 
the Day of Atonement? That means the Day of Covering, actually. You're just covering it up. You're covering it up. They, didn't, they, they never really, never ever really understood or believed that it could ever just be gone. But it can through Jesus. It's our ultimate atonement. So now we, we have Jesus, and we uh, go from, this is a, uh, actually a picture of us, too, in our brokenness. We have an intended purpose that God gives us as human beings, but we are broken inherently because of the first human beings, and because of our sinful nature, and because of sin out there, and because of Satan that tries to connect it. But Jesus comes and makes us into something completely different. Jesus comes so we can be transformed into what we've always intended to be. But we still live in this time. We still live in this time in this broken world. And so we are almost what we were intended to be. We are what we are intended to be, I should say. We are what we are intended to be, but we have broken parts still that aren't going to be fixed until we are resurrected and Jesus makes everything new. And that's... I talk about this, and this is a whole thing too, and we'll get to that in the class. That is a real problem for us as we try to live godly lives. I'm redeemed and made perfect or complete, and yet I still sin, and I have a sinful nature. I can't deal with that. Sometimes I feel terrible, and sometimes I feel great. And sometimes I feel both of them at once, and sometimes I feel one one second, and one the next second, and then back to the other one. It's hard for us to live that way. It's hard for us to live. We live in a broken world, and we are broken, and yet still transformed into what God intended us to completely be. Amazing, right? So someday, um, God's going to make us and this creation what he intended. Now, this is the arc, the grand narrative of the Bible. Everything else fits within this story. This is the grand narrative of what God is doing, of God, his actions in this world and in your life. This is the grand narrative. Everything fits within this. And I want to make this point. God started here, and Revelation 21 and 22 says it's going to happen here. And this plan is cosmic. It's not going to be us here in this congregation. It is going to be the entire cosmos and every person. Philippians 2 says every knee will bow. Every tongue confess. Now or then, it will happen. And so this plan is happening. This is happening. This is not a maybe. This is not God hoping. This is happening. And, and the Roman government couldn't stop it. And, uh, and the Middle, Middle Ages couldn't stop it. The Dark Ages. And World War II couldn't stop it. And the Cold War couldn't stop it. And, and Trump or Hillary being president can't stop it. Nothing can stop it. Nothing in this world can stop this grand thing from happening. It's not not going to happen. Your sin can't stop it. My sin can't stop it. My brokenness, my addictions, my anger, your brokenness, your addictions, your anger, your lack of love, my lack of love, whatever I do or don't do right or wrong is not going to stop this at all. Whether we as a church decide to get in on what God's doing or not is not going to stop this. God is not going to stop the train and say, oh, hold on, my grand plan is going to wait for Kirk Stevens to decide what he wants to do. This is happening. Now, God goes to great lengths to convince us that he wants us as part of it, though. God desperately, desperately, desperately wants you to be a part of this. God sent his son in order to redeem you so that you could be a part of this, and me too. Like, he went to the greatest lengths ever so that you and I could be a part of this. God weeps for us if we're not a part of it. 
God reaches out to us. Uh, Acts 17 says, I'll paraphrase it here. The Acts 17, Paul is with these Athenians who are all, you know, hoity-toity, nerdy, thinky people. And he says, um, and he says, uh, and they're like, oh, we'll, we'll hear you out, Paul. And he says, oh yeah, the God, you have lots of gods around here, but let me tell you that Yahweh, the one God who made all of this, uh, he made all of it and he made men so that they would partner with him, reach out for him and, and find him. Um, he says, but he calls all men to repent, to get in on his plan, to be one of his people, um, and get in on God's jam, I guess you would say, right? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, okay, whatever, we'll hear about you later. But my point is that Paul is talking about this cosmic plan, and he's saying God created everything, and it's all going to be resurrected, it's all going to be made new, and he wants you to be a part of it. He wants me and you to be a part of it. And so there's an aspect of it that says this thing is so much bigger than me, but there's an aspect of it that says God wants me individually too. God wants me. He wants me to be a part of it. See, the Bible and salvation and God is not centered around me. And it doesn't depend on me. But God desperately wants me. The Bible and God's plan and salvation and God and all of it does not center around you. I heard somebody say once, like, if you were the only person born, God still would have sent Jesus. Uh, false premise. Not the way that it was even started. Or, I, I, and I, I'm, you know, there before the grace of God. I'll say, listen, let me just make this disclaimer right off the bat. I will say many things. <laughs> so, but... I've heard it said, uh, your sole purpose is to get saved and go to heaven. No. Your sole purpose is to represent image God. You understand? Uh, and, and as much as, 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 as this, I am not the center of this, and you're not the center of it. And as much as it doesn't depend on me or you, God still desperately wants us. And so it makes me feel two things that are kind of uh, in tension with each other. Very... Um, very significant and important and sought after, loved, wanted, but not needed. And so part of something bigger than myself. And, I, and as human beings, I believe that we're, we're made to be that way, to be a way that that clicks for us. I am not the center. It makes me feel very insecure and sometimes disinterested if it's all about me. But if I'm part of something bigger and yet still wanted, if I'm part of something bigger and I'm not wanted, it makes me feel swallowed up. If I'm part of something bigger and desperately wanted, I feel significant and yet working towards something and being a part of something much, much bigger than myself. That's awesome. I love that about God. I love that about Christianity. I love that about being a disciple of Jesus. It's not just about me getting my sins forgiven and going to heaven. That's awesome. I am grateful for that. <laughs> it's about getting my sins forgiven so that I can be a part of this great thing that God's doing. I don't even understand what it is completely. But I'm grateful for it. You get it, right? Okay. So, Paul called the Athenians to, to get in on this thing that God is doing. And uh, they didn't want it. We're here because we're interested, or at least interested in it, or somebody drags us here, or uh, we do want it. Um, but here's the thing, too, with this, with this narrative. With this narrative. We, this is me. I made a picture of myself. Self-portrait. You see that? I do all my own art. 
Um, so we, 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 you and I, so here's the thing about the Bible. The Bible um, goes like this. It goes, you know, it's a, it's a story. And I don't mean like story fairy tale, not true. I mean like literary story. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It has a start, a problem, a resolution of the problem, and then a conclusion, like, like literature does. Her, you know, God loves literature, I believe. It's just that his people don't. <laughs> um, so, God, there's a story in the Bible that goes up to the early church. God, Jesus comes and, and shows us redemption, and, and, and he is preached. And Jesus says, go make disciples, and his disciples do. And it, and it stops, though. You ever, read, you ever read the last chapter of Acts? It's like, and then we, this dot, dot, dot. I'm like, well, that's not an ending. We don't, get, we don't get anything beyond that. And it's right, it's not an ending. It's like an like interruption. But then we have the ending. We know how it ends. We know how it starts. We know the resolution. We know the ending, what's going to happen. And so we live uh, in, the, there's a gap here in this story. And we live in this gap in the story. Like we live in this gap of the story of God's redemption, of God's creating and recreating of the Bible. We live in this gap. So this is written and this is done. We live in this gap, and so it's like we, uh, in a way, write our story right here. We write our story. We fit within the story, but we're writing our part of the story right now. We, as a people, are writing our part of the story, and you, as a single individual disciple, are writing your part of the story. Now, the thing about this is it can't, like, it's got to be in line with the rest of the story. We can't write our own story in a way that doesn't, you know, that veers off on it. Like, we can't bring in other gods because they're not part of this story. You get it? We can't be like, hey, um, I'm writing my own story and I decide that I get to do this sin. No, it's not in line. We don't write the story on a left turn out of line with the rest of it. You get it? But there is a gap there and it's unwritten. And God gives us that freedom and says, now go. Now you write the story. Here's the ending. This is what's going to end. Here's how you got here. Here's the storyline, here are the characters, here is what's going on, here's the plot, all of that stuff, the literary words that I'm trying to throw out as many as I can remember. The denouement, remember that word from high school? The, um, all of this stuff. But we live in that gap. And so the question for, for us today, and the thing I want to leave you with, and you'll see this some more because I'm going to use this, maybe, um, more, but is this. What story are you writing? Are you writing a story? The story of this is not, um, I get to be saved and now I sit here the rest of my life waiting for that. That is not in line with the rest of this thing. The story is not, um, that doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how I live. That's not in line with the story. The story is not um, things like, um, well, I'm broken. I have broken parts, even though I'm redeemed, so what can I do? That's not part of the story. You have significance. God believes in you. God believes in us. The story is not all these lies that we tell ourselves or that Satan tells us and we believe and we accept. That's not part of the story. The story is things like what Ron talked about in communion. We hold on to God. We don't jump tracks. Tracks? Paths. So what story are you, are you writing? And in what ways do you, do you write a different story? We all do. 
And as you go this week, as you leave and you go and you live your life, because this is all nice and fine, and this is kind of a macro view, and you know, this isn't a super great toolkit for you to go out and uh, maybe have your quiet time tomorrow or whatever, or be righteous, but it's a way, it's a lens. So you, we, you and I, we have to figure out how to make this practical in our life. How are you going to make this practical? How, what story are you going to write tomorrow when you get up? We all, I leave church a lot of times feeling awesome, like, oh, I feel refreshed, I feel communed with, I have communed with, it's great. And then I get home and I'm like, oh, where's my spoon? I can't find what I just... <laughs> what is that? I don't know. You know, the story veers way off right away. It's the way we are. What story are you writing? Are, what story are you writing? Are you writing this story? Or have you stopped writing? Are you writing this story? Is it in line with God's story? Is it, does it have the future in mind? The end? We win. We win. We win. We don't always win every little battle here, but we win. We win the whole thing. God wins. It's awesome, huh? Yeah. So, so, think about that. Pray about that. What story are you writing? Let's pray. God, we're so grateful uh, to have you as our God. We're so grateful to, to, to be made in your image. Um, Lord, that alone just blows my mind, and I don't feel like I am. Um, so much and so often. Um, And I know the parts of me that are broken are not in your image, uh, and I know they will be fixed, and and I will be completely in your image someday, and that's something great to look forward to. But Lord, in the meantime, help me and help us to, um, to live as if, to live as if we were made in your image with a purpose and a mission to partner with you to to, uh, to proclaim to the world, to help shape this world into what you have uh, envisioned it to be as we wait and hope and look forward to the day when you will renew all of it, Lord. Help us to be confident. Help us to be joyous in celebration, in, in celebration of the fact that, that we do win, that you win. This is happening. We're a part of it. We're grateful, God. We thank you for all this. And we pray this in your Son. Amen. Amen. Amen.